You have put a new song in my mouth. A song of praise. A sound that resonates that all of heaven and earth may worship you. We tread the hills to meet with you, to see your majesty in all that surrounds us. For it speaks and displays the eternal God of ages, creator, author, victor. In love, you established an everlasting covenant with your people, and it's your love that captivates us. As children of the King, we rush in as waves unrestrained, overcome, overwhelmed, that the King crowned in glory and splendor would reach down to place a crown upon our heads. So we raise our banner, the banner we boldly stand under, the banner of Jesus Christ. From dusk to dawn, from age to age, your praise resounds in all the earth. Deliverer, Redeemer, ruler of an everlasting kingdom that cannot be shaken. We trust in the name of Christ Jesus, the only King forever. Welcome to Zion's Redemption Radio. This is Fundamentally Mormon. I'm your host, Mark Lichtenwalter. The guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. That's 917-889-8827. You can find this at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally mormon. And the text will also be posted on my Facebook wall at facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977. You can also find the text and the audio to this radio program on iTunes at Fundamentally Mormon and in the different Facebook groups that I am an admin of. Some of those groups are LDS Last Days Prophecy and Gospel Discussions, LDS Gospel Mysteries, Latter-day Unity, and others. You can find the pages that I admin also on my Facebook wall. And if you enjoy this program, please friend request me or follow me and uh, make me one of your close friends. We try to put out as many episodes as we can during the week. But I'm thankful for you to be here today. Let's get right into the reading today. We are going to be reading out of Ogden Kraut's books. You can find his books for free to read online at ogdenkraut.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. That's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com. And we're coming to you live from Emory County, Utah. Today is the eight, or the ninth day of August 2021, and we're going to be reading Keys of the Kingdom, or Keys of the Church and Kingdom, Chapter 13 of Holy Priesthood, Volume 6, pages 199 to 218. Emmett, are you there? Yes, I am, but I was muted. <laughs> Okay, just making sure. And that's going to be reading for us tonight. Um, I am driving truck as usual. So 
Uh, we've been off for 10 days or something like that. Um, so the last program we did was the Wednesday before last, and um, I actually hurt myself pretty bad on, uh, let's see, what was it? Well, it was Friday after our Friday before last. So I think it was the, I don't know if it was the, no, it wasn't the first day. It was like the 30th of July. Anyway, um, I was getting ready to go to work, and I'd hurt my hand where my uh, my tendon and my finger is screwed up, and uh, I've had a brace on it for a while. And anyway, I was uh, pulling a rock out of my dualies in my semi truck, and I hurt it worse, so I was kind of babying it a little bit, and I was trying to get dressed and ready for work. Um, and I screwed up my back pretty bad. Uh, ended up spending the uh, oh well, spending part of my night in the emergency room in Spanish Fork, Utah. We went to the uh, urgent care in Price, Utah, north of where we live, and they said I needed to go to the emergency room. But we have had really bad experiences at the uh, emergency room in Price. Uh, that actually led uh, to complications with my daughter, who was born uh, last November and died 13 hours later. And uh, we just, we don't want anything to do with those people there. So, or with the emergency room staff there. Anyway, so we drove all the way to Spanish Fork and I had to walk with the cane for about a week. And then um, after about eight days, um, my back was still tight, but I was able to go to work. So, um, yeah, that's what we were doing last week. And then another thing happened on the, um, on Sunday, the Sunday before last, one of the mines that we go up to, well, actually, I'll go back a little bit. That same night that I hurt my back, I kept on getting text messages on a group chat our group text from my uh, my coworkers talking about all these flash floods and all this crazy stuff that was going on that night. And um, there was just a lot of really bad things happening, and I would have been right in the middle of it for Friday night, Saturday night, and Sunday night. Well, on Sunday night, one of the mines that I load out of, up Huntington Canyon, it's called Gentry mountain mining. It's also called Castle Valley Mining or Rhino. I don't know why they have three names. I just call it Rhino. Anyway, it's the Kingston clan uh, uh, that owns it, which is a large polygamous group. Anyway, um, they had a flash flood go right through the loadout area and nobody knew it was coming. And I think it was eight to ten people got injured in this flash flood and one person got swept away and he died and they found his body the next on Monday morning about six miles down down the canyon and um, this particular guy that died actually helped me out on Thursday morning which was my last day on work so I didn't know him very well, but he did help out on the surface. So in the coal mine, you have surface workers and you have mine, miners that go underground, and you can go back and forth. Anyway, 
he helped me out the other night. Actually, it was like 2 o'clock in the morning or something like that. And uh, the scale wasn't working, and he had to go write me up a hand ticket. And that was the last time I seen him because he passed away now. He lives in Fairview, and he had three daughters and a wife. So anyway, with all that mess that happened with me getting hurt and then all of that, we just didn't do anything last week. So uh, this week, uh, we're going to start again. We'll do tonight, tomorrow night, and Wednesday night. And I think that's just the way it's going to be for a while. We're getting ready all to go back to school. My wife is getting ready to, to, you know, for her classroom, and the kids are getting ready to do everything that they need to do. So we'll uh we're going to try to do 8 p.m. Monday, Wednesday, or Monday, Tuesday and Wednesday. So anyway, um without any further ado, I'll offer the opening prayer and then Emmett's going to read and then he'll read one page at a time and then he'll ask me if I have anything to say about that. <laughs> and uh if I don't respond, then that means something's going on and I am not able to get to my new button. So anyway, um, we'll give uh, we'll give the offering prayer. Uh, by the way, this program is uh, educational purposes um, for the Church of the Living Messiah Ministry. Uh, we are independent, non-denominational Mormons who believe in the restoration as brought about by the Prophet Joseph Smith, and uh, it's beneficial for understanding doctrine understanding how the church has changed uh, throughout the years and that's what I do that's what I use this program for so uh, just so you know I'm not a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints uh, I am an independent fundamentalist Mormon and I am the head of the Church of Living Messiah Ministries so and this is part of the School of the Prophets portion of that program that uh for for you know educational purposes all right i'll offer a dedication and we'll get right into the reading oh god the eternal father we come to thee in the name of thy son jesus christ we ask thee father to forgive us of our sins and our transgressions that we may have thy spirit to be with us that we may be taught the doctrine and get confirmation of the spirit as we learn line upon line, precept upon precept. We desire to be part of thine redemption and to be tools in thine hand to bring about thy kingdom upon the earth. We love thee, Father, and we say these things and dedicate this time unto thee. In the name of Yeshua, our Messiah, even Jesus the Christ. Amen. Go ahead, Emma. Amen. Okay. <clears throat> Beginning on page 199 of chapter 12, Keys of the Church and Keys of the Kingdom. Uh, We are reading out of Holy Priesthood, Volume 6, and I have the book, it's called Ensign to the Nations. Uh, We're on page 994 in that. Without further ado. Behold, this is my doctrine. Whosoever repented and cometh unto me, the same is my church. 
Whosoever declareth more or less than this is the same, or the same is not of me, but is against me. Therefore, he is not of my church. DNC uh, 10, uh, 67 to 68. I think DNC is volume 10. Uh, there are three essential areas that will be discussed in this chapter to provide a better understanding of how keys function within the Church of Jesus Christ and within the Kingdom of God. Dad, I think you're unmuted. I hear wind. Are you there? I think he forgot to mute his mic. I hear, like, wind. The church is an me? appendage. Now I can. Hi. Oh, yeah, I'm just, uh... It must have become unmuted. I had to go back and get my gate locked so that I could dump my load over here at Hunter Power. So, okay. anyway, I'll mute myself again. Okay, that sounds a bit better. Okay, uh, there are three essential areas that will be discussed in this chapter to provide a better understanding of how keys function within the Church of Jesus Christ and within the Kingdom of God. First, the Church is an appendage. Second, the Church and the Kingdom are separate. Third, apostasy from the Church and of the Church. First, it is important to point out that the Church and the Kingdom of God are two separate entities. They coexisted within the organization of the LDS Church until 1843, uh, at which time Joseph Smith set up the kingdom as a separate organization from the church. This will be explained further in the church and the kingdom are separate section. Uh, section 1, the church is an appendage. In Revelation from the Lord in 1833, or 31, ugh, he said the saints should lift up their hearts and rejoice because the keys of the church have been given. DNC, uh, volume 42, uh, 69. Probably page. We're on page 200. Anything to say, Dad? No, you can continue. Um, okay. <laughs> I was going to say, I'm going to take that as a no. <laughs> okay. Continuing on. <sighs> there were numerous other kinds of keys also given, but we are more interested here in the particular keys of the church, some of which are for the work of the ministry, for the missionary work, for the gathering of Israel, for building temples, and for the school of the prophets. First, keys for the work of the ministry. In Revelation, or in a revelation to Joseph Smith in 1841, the Lord said he gave keys to the officers of the church for the work of the ministry and the perfecting of my saints. DNC, volume 124, page 143. The church was, and still is, a vehicle for the work in the ministry of the priesthood. Second, keys for missionary work. The Church of Jesus Christ is a missionary church. In the former day church, Jesus commanded his apostles to go ye thereforth and teach all nations. Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. In the latter days, the Lord has said that he restored his church that the fullness of my gospel may be proclaimed by the weak and the simple unto the ends of the world. DNC, uh, Volume 1, page 23, I think. When the Lord said, Go ye 
into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, verse or chapter 16, verse 15, that instruction pertains to now as well as then. For 165 years, Mormons have set, sent missionaries to the corners of the world, seeking new members for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Today, there are 50,000 such minister, missionaries in 156 countries. Uh, Peggy Sack, Stack, Salt Lake Tribune, April 6, 1996. Uh, yeah, three, so for was... the Gathering of Israel. Oh. Just saying that was in 1996, so these books are a little bit dated, but they're still good for, uh, you know, the quotes and everything are all scriptures and historical stuff from the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and some other quotes too, so, but yeah, it's a little bit old, but we got, there's a lot more missionaries out there right now than that, so anyway, go ahead, I'm up. Okay. Um, third, keys for the gathering of Israel. In Kirtland, Ohio, on April, hold on, I'm going to cough really bad. Ugh. I have like this on and off cough recently. In Kirtland, Ohio, Kirtland, Ohio, April of 1836, Joseph Smith and Oliver Caldery received the keys of the gathering of Israel. Page 201. Anything to say, Dad? No, go ahead. Okay. After this vision closed, the heavens were again opened unto us, and Moses appeared before us and committed unto us the keys of the gathering of Israel from the four parts of the earth and the leading of the ten tribes from the land of the north. DMC, volume 110, uh, page 11. Four, keys for building temples. The Lord has commanded us to always build temples. See DMC 124, 39. And along with that come the keys to do so. And as thou hast said in a revelation given to us, establish a house, even a house of prayer, a house of fasting, a house of faith, a house of learning, a house of glory, a house of order, a house of God. Dedicatory, dedicatory prayer, dedicatory prayer at Kirtland Temple, 1836, D&C 109, uh, 6 and 8. Uh, five, keys for the school of the prophets. In a revelation to Joseph Smith in Kirtland, Ohio, in 1833, the Lord said, As also through your administration, the keys of the school of the prophets, which I have commanded to be organized. DNC, uh, volume 90, page 7. I feel stuttery today. In spite of the changes, rejections, and failures of the membership rank and file, the LDS Church still has the responsibility and calling to cry repentance to this generation and to exercise the keys given to them. The missionaries go all over the world and preach the story of the apostasy, of the apostasy and the establishment of this church in these latter days, that the priesthood has been restored, that the Book of Mormon is true, and that Joseph Smith was true and is a true prophet, and that Jesus Christ is the Christ that Jesus is the Christ. Ugh. The church has not abandoned that part of their calling. 
Regarding to keys to build temples, regarding the keys to build temples, it is interesting to note that some of the ordinances usually performed in the temples can also be performed outside the temple, i.e. baptisms for the dead, marriage healing, and even personal endowments. Page 202, anything to say, Dad? Sorry. Um, yeah, like, they did have all of those, uh, you know, goals and everything, but when they go and they start changing things, they change the endowments, they change the ordinances, they change who Jesus is. I mean, it's turned into how many people can they get in the church rather than, um, you know, how many quality or what kind of quality of people they get. Um, and they dumb down the gospel so much that uh, it, it doesn't uh, purvey the, uh, you know, the truth of the restoration, and it changes things. So, um, unfortunately, because of apostasy within the church, about the time that Eldridge G. Smith uh, passed away, who was the last patriarch of the church in 2013, so he died... I think it was April of 2013, and they never called another patriarch for a presiding patriarch of the church. So unfortunately, um, the keys were taken from them, and whatever keys they had were taken from them. Now, Heber J. Grant, he admitted that he did not have the keys to seal pl uh, plural marriages um, because the keys had been given out. Uh, to people who would take care of that. That's where the fundamentalists come from. But um, because of the apostasy and the wickedness uh, within the church and the membership of the church and the leadership of the church, uh, God actually uh, told Daniel in the book of Daniel that there would, he gave him a vision. And Daniel chapter 12 records that vision. And it, it says that the man, it talks about the last days right before the end. There's a man clothed in linen. Now linen is a symbol of purity and righteousness. And that he would lift his hands to the air or lift his arms. Hold on. You say I can dump this, Lila? All right. Uh, thanks. You're schooling really bad. Anyway, um, so Daniel chapter 12 actually talks about this time that would come in the very end of the celestial history of this earth where the man clothed in linen would raise his arms to the air or his hands to the square and scatter, which means to sever the power of all the holy people, and that's the holy priesthood from the holy people in the last days. So... That actually happened on July 15th, 2015. The only reason I know about it is because I am the one prophesied the, the man clothed in linen. So um, when I asked God why he would do these things, he said, all they who will not accept me as his witness, which I am, that he would not accept them either. So I didn't know about the prophecy in Daniel chapter 12 until about a month after I was asked to do these things, my aunt, I told my aunt, so my aunt in 2012 was convinced that I was the one mighty and strong, and she kept on telling me, and like, 
I had whisperings of the spirit too, but I was like, nope, that's not me. I'm not that guy. But I had had all these really marvelous experiences with God personally, physically, uh, and visions, and dreams, and revelations, all these things. But I was like, nope, I couldn't possibly be the, the one mighty and strong. Anyway, so, um, sorry, I'm jumping on the grid over here, so I'm just trying to pay attention to that and talk. Um, anyway, so, uh, so I told my aunt about what God told me to do, and uh, about a month later, she was reading in Daniel chapter 12, and she said, uh, she calls me, and she says, you are never going to guess what I just read. And I said, well, what did you read? Daniel chapter 12. And it talks about what you did in last month, which okay. is July of 2013. I said, well, what's that? And it says that the man clothed in linen would scatter the power of all the holy people in the last days. And that's actually what it says in the King James Version. But a better translation would be that the man clothed in linen raises his arms to the square instead of in the air and severs the power or severs the priesthood of all the holy people. And the reason for this is it's a hard reset because the church is so out of order and because it refuses to be corrected. Also because the, the groups within the restoration branches refuse to be corrected and because of things that, like Hebrew J. Grant did, where he, in 1921, he made a deal with the devil, or the, I hate calling this, but the Luciferians, the Rothschilds, the Rockefellers, the Warburgs, and he uh, he gave up the temple lot and a whole bunch of other church property he um, for a loan so that he could build a, his insurance company called Grant Insurance. And uh, there was something to do with the sugar beet thing, too. Anyway, but I won't get into all of the things that happened because of what he did. But one of the things that he did do was he um, – hold on here. First, I don't even know why he – he approached uh, him and Charles Penrose before – Joseph F. Smith died, um, they were trying to get him to, like, stop conferring priesthood, the only ordained offices, and that that we were doing things wrong because you were giving power to the people, and the people in the church shouldn't have power, and only they should have power. So anyway, Joseph F. Smith tried to excommunicate them both, but they brought it up again. And he chastised them and told them how wrong it was what they were doing or what they wanted to do. But when Heber J. when I mean Joseph F. Smith died, Heber J. Grant just did what he was told not to do. And from 1921 to 1957, they ordained two offices without conferring priesthood. That went through the life of Heber J. Grant, Joseph or no, um, George Albert Smith, I think that's who it was. And then uh, when David O. McKay became president of the church, he knew how wrong it was, and he had the power as president of the church to change it back, and he did. However, 
uh, David O. McKay wanted to go back and change everything and reordain to do all of the priesthood work that had been done for that course of 36 or 37 years. And he needed a unanimous decision, and there was division within the Quorum of the Twelve and the First Presidency about it, so they just left it be. So because of that, many lines of authority within the LDS Church are completely, they don't exist. If somebody, like for instance, if I was ordained by somebody who was ordained by somebody who was ordained by somebody during that time, and they the person that laid hands on their head did not confer priesthood. Well, everybody in the line of authority after that, none of them have priesthood. This is how this state, uh, <laughs> this is how Satan has got his little claws into things to destroy things. So, um, you know, I mean, I'm sorry that that happened, but then there's been other apostasies and other, um, iniquity within the other branches as well. And that's part of the reason why God basically severed the power of all the holy people with the exception of one person. And it happened to be that man. And I know that that's crazy, and I know everybody thinks I'm delusional, but it's true, and I don't know what to tell you about that. I didn't choose it, and I didn't come up with it on a whim either. Um, Heavenly Father brought me up to his high mountain. Um, on Mount Vashel in 2003 and he laid his hands on my head physically and filled me up unto himself and unto eternal life and I saw him face to face and I was given keys of the kingdom and the priesthood and the fullness of the priesthood which you can only get by God laying his hands upon your head there's no other way I can't give it to you Um, anyway but that's why I understand these things so, um, I am, you know what, I am very bold and very open about it, because uh, I don't want God to, to uh, condemn me for not being open and bold about things that he's commanded me to tell you. So, anyway, Emma, are you still there? Yep. Yeah, I actually made a mistake by giving um, priesthood to my son, so I made him a uh, a priest or a, a deacon in the Aaronic priesthood a number of years ago, and the LBS Church actually has made this mistake as well, and I didn't understand it until I was studying it out. Emmett, did you know that you're not supposed to be a deacon in the church unless you're married to uh, at least one wife? Nope. Well, we hope that you don't get married in the next couple of years because you're only 15. But it will be nice to see you get <laughs> married someday. So, <laughs> and you know, uh, I don't think Smith you have much they, to worry about there. Yeah, Joseph Smith said if they contradict the Bible, the Book of Mormon, and the Doctrine and Covenants, and set them down as imposters. And in the Bible, it says that a deacon must be married. So, anyway, uh, I'm going around dead air turns. If you want to read, I'll just mute myself. Okay. I think we're on page 202. 
For example, Ensign Peak was considered a special or sacred place, and on July 23, 1849, Brigham Young offered a dedicatory prayer there. But it was more than just a seemingly hallowed spot, but was also a place where sacred ordinances were administered to the saints. Immediately after Young's dedicatory power, uh, dedicatory, uh, Addison Pratt already called to a South Seas LDS proselyting mission, received his endowment on the peak. A gauge of the times, Enzyme Peak in the 20th century, Ronald Walker, page 21. Ron Walker also noted that these same ordinances were performed there many years later as well. <coughs> and rumors circulated that Mormon fundamentalists secretly used the place, Enzyme Peak, denied entry to LDS temples, so the story went. These LDS uh, dissenters recalled Brigham Young's 1849 consecration of Ensign Peak for prayer and the endowment ceremony and performed such ordinances there themselves. Uh, the same long quote as the last one on page 21. So it's literally the same quote as the last one because the last one was a gauge of the times Ensign Peak in the 20th century, Ronald Walker, page 21. <laughs> I guess they should have, or could have done that as the same quote, but whatever. But Brigham Young mentioned certain ordinances that should be reserved for inside the temple, i.e. sealing children to parents, being sealed to forefathers, and sealing men to men. <coughs> Ugh. We also have the privilege of sealing women to men without a temple. This can, we can do in the endowment house. But when we come to other sealing ordinances, yeah? I want to explain something real quick. Okay. All right. So in the church today, um, there is no sealing men to men. That was done away with by Wilfred Woodruff, and a lot of people don't understand what the law of adoption even was. So let me explain it to you real quick. Joseph Smith, when he was filled up to God, when he received his calling and election, he became a link to man, mortal man and women on the earth. Um, and he was filled up unto God and all that God is filled up to. So in the heavens, everybody is filled together. So when you are filled up to Adam, who is God the creator, you are filled up to Jesus. Christ and to Jehovah and to all of these people and all of the angels and all the people that they're filled up to and you become this link on the earth and there's only one man on the earth at any time that has been filled up to the Father. The law of adoption is where you are adopted by appealing ordinances from man to man so that when a man is filled up to the man uh, who is filled up to God there's a link that is created there. And then everything, everyone that that man is filled up to is also filled up to this link. So his wives, if he has wives, or his wife, and his children are filled up to this link. That's man-to-man sealing. That is extremely important in the restoration and for Zion's redemption. But because of the apostasy in the church after Nauvoo, 
or in Nauvoo, and then after Nauvoo, eventually these things were taken away from the minds of the saints, so they did not understand them. But then Section 132, uh, which I believe part of that is true and part of it is not true, but um, just because there's contradictions between uh, Jacob Chapter 5 and the NC Section 132. Uh, but anyway, um, this whole idea of being sealed up in the law of adoption is talked about in the, uh, in the scriptures. So, um, so Joseph Smith was the man on the earth at that time. Now, when, when I was asking God what the calling an election made sure, which is talked about in my patriarchal blessing, that I have been given the greatest gift that God has to bestow, the gift of eternal life, and I asked God how it could be, and he said, it's not because of who you are in this world, it's because of who you were. And at the time, that was way before 2013, I had no idea what he was talking about. I just took it on faith, you know. But in 2013, I was shown exactly who I am, why I was called, how I was called, all of that. And, um, but in 2003, when I saw the Father and the Son upon Mount Vashel, when I was taken there in the flesh, they laid their hands, well, not they, the Father himself, not Jesus Christ, laid his hands upon my head. He sealed me up into himself. He gave me the fullness of the priesthood along with the keys of the kingdom and the church. And I became the link, like Joseph Smith was the link on the earth at that time. And some people believe that Joseph Smith has to return. I don't know anything about that. I don't believe in reincarnation that way, although there is something about multiple mortal probations from world to world, but uh, I don't know. I've never gotten revelation that he's supposed to come back or be the one man. And some people say, well, you couldn't possibly have had that happen to you because you are not the reincarnated Joseph Smith. And I'm always like, well, I don't think I am. I don't believe I am. But how would you know if I was or not? Like, I'm not coming back in the same body or with the same, you know, I'm not going to be Joseph Smith, Jr., part, whatever, you know. Like, if reincarnation you're is not the way they be want Joseph to Smith, But again. Yeah, I mean, I'm Mark Lickenwalter, and I don't believe in reincarnation in that way, although I do believe in multiple mortal probations for two different things. Reincarnation is like the devil's version of God's multiple mortal probations. And the multiple mortal probations is talked about by Joseph Smith in the lecture at the Grove, which was given in June of 1844. Uh, it was the last sermon that he gave, uh, and it was cut short because of the rain. And uh, go and read that, you know, and you'll understand a little bit more about multiple mortal probations. Also read the King Fuller Discourse, and he talks a little bit about that in that place as well. So anyway, um, but so I just wanted to, you know, like this quote here where uh, Brigham Young is talking about sealing men to men. You have no idea what it's talking about. And all this stuff where people are like, oh, Joseph was so horrible because he was still to other people's wives. But yeah, but then they're like, but he was still to men too. And that was weird. Okay, I'm sorry that you're so ignorant that you don't understand these things. And it may not be your fault because you haven't been taught. 
But stop jumping to conclusions because you don't understand what you're talking about. It's kind of like the penalties in the temple. All of these people freak out about the penalties in the temple. Oh, if I if I dare uh, say what the what the signs and tokens are, I will suffer my life. Meaning, in their eyes, I will allow myself to be murdered by disembowelment. No, that's not what it said. That's not what it said. The whole idea is that you would suffer those things to happen to you before you would reveal the signs and the tokens. But Satan's got it in your head that things are different than they are, and then you take something and you run with it, but you don't get revelation about it because you have no spiritual gifts because you've denied the Holy Ghost. Because uh, a lot of you out there have actually had a witness of the Spirit, and you at one time knew that Joseph Smith was a true prophet, and then over time you hear all these lies and all these twisting of truth, and then all these excuses, and you're like, nope, he's a false prophet. You know, like, let me just postulate a little bit for, for you out there. If God truly did restore his gospel upon the earth, wouldn't it be Satan's biggest goal to destroy every last bit of that? And you take the testimony of some people over another, um, as far as like, you know, well, Brigham Young said this, or like this anti-Mormon said this, or blah, blah, whatever. Well, don't you realize that Satan is going to find every way that he can to destroy the truth of the restoration? Whether it comes through false statements by the prophet, or not the prophet, by Brigham Young, I don't consider him um, the Lord's anointed, by the way. Or, or even Sidney uh, Rigdon, or anybody, uh, the anti-Mormons. Something that you don't know about me, some of you do. I was kind of raised in the church by an inactive mother. My grandparents were very active. They served seven missions. Uh, at a very young age, I started going to the Baptist church, and I eventually became a Southern Baptist. Tried to have my name removed from the church in 1995, I think it was, uh, but was unsuccessful because I was underage and blah, blah, and they had all these excuses. Anyway, but I was very anti-Mormon, and I studied the crap out of all the anti-Mormon literature I could get my hands on, and I hated the Mormons. However, through circumstances, God brought me down to my knees. And I wrote him a letter after a suicide attempt. And I said, if you will show me the truth and you will heal me, I will serve you for the rest of my life. It wasn't long after that that the elders for the Church of Jesus Christ showed up on my doorstep. I was nice to them, but I did not want what they had. They would not leave me alone. And after a couple of weeks, I finally said, fine, you can come in and share with me whatever you got to share with me. And it was at that point that I felt the spirit of peace, which is something I had not felt in a long time. They told me that I, too, could ask God, just like Joseph Smith did, what the truth is, 
you know, James chapter 1, verse 5, if you lack wisdom, ask God. Anyway, so they left, and I, I went up into the loft of my friend's apartment, and I asked God on bended knee in the name of Jesus Christ that Joseph Smith was a true prophet, and the Book of Mormon was true. A Holy Spirit came down upon me with great fire. And I was healed in an instant. I had been a drug addict. I'd used drugs. I was very depressed. I was suicidal. I wanted to die. I used to drink a lot of alcohol and do a lot of drugs. And it was destroying my life. All of that was taken from me in an instant. So when people are like, oh, you just had feelings. No, that's not just feelings. I had a miracle happen, a very, very strong, powerful witness of the Spirit along with the miracle that happened. And I cannot deny that. But one thing that I did do was I assumed because um, Joseph Smith was like, because the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints is talking about Joseph Smith, that Joseph Smith must be the founder of the LDS Church. And that because he is a prophet, that these guys must be true as well. And I would later find out that that's not the case. That the leadership of the church over the last 190 years or whatever it's been, they have they have changed so many things. And the correlation department doesn't want you to know about that. So they don't want you to know about the things that we're reading about. They don't want you to read the Journal of Discourses or the Doctrinal History of the Church to read what they spoon feed you because they're gaslighting and they're lying and they've turned the restoration into a money-making Ponzi scheme. <laughs> so, anyway, one thing that sucks, okay, so last week I was, I was all week, I could barely walk, I had to use a cane to get around. Sick all, I mean, not sick, but hurt all week and then this week I go to work and I'm sick. And I've been sick. And I'm like, oh, seriously, one thing after another. Anyway, I'm going to mute myself, Summit. Um, you got this? Uh, hopefully. <laughs> okay, I'll mute myself and then uh, uh, just keep on reading. I'll let you know. I'll, I'll interrupt you when, I'm, uh, when I have something to say, okay? Uh, okay. Okay. I don't remember exactly where we were at, so I'm going to read from what I remember. Hold on, Emma. Uh, what? Just start, just start with, but Brigham Young mentioned certain ordinances that should be reserved for inside the temple, yeah. i.e., number one, stealing of I children to parents. Go ahead. I know I finished reading that paragraph, so I was just going to read the quote. We, have, or we also have the privilege of sealing women to men without a temple. This we can do in the endowment house. But when we come together to other sealing ordinances, ordinances pertaining to the holy priesthood, to connect the chain of the priesthood from Father, from Father Adam until now, by sealing children to their parents, being sealed to our forefathers, etc. They cannot be done without a temple. But we can seal women to men. Uh, we are on page 203. Anything to say, Dad? <laughs> I'm just going to keep reading because he went on that huge tangent a second ago. <laughs> but not men to men without a temple. When the ordinances are carried out in the temples that will be erected, 
men will be sealed to their fathers, and those who have slept cleared up to Father Adam. This will have to be done because of the chain of the priesthood being broken upon the earth. The priesthood has left the people, but in the first place, the people left the priesthood. They transgressed the laws, changed the ordinance, and broke the everlasting covenant. And the priesthood left them, but not until they had left the priesthood. This priesthood had been, or has been restored again, and by its authority we shall connect, or shall be connected with our fathers. Hold on. Be quiet. Uh, my sister just ran in and was making noises, and I was like, shh, be quiet. <laughs> okay. The priesthood has been restored again, and by its authority we shall be connected with our fathers by the ordinance of sealing, until we shall form a perfect, a perfect chain from Father Adam down to the closing up scene. This ordinance will not be performed anywhere but in the temple. Neither will children be sealed to their living parents in any other place than a temple. Journal of Discourses, Volume 16, page 186. <clears throat> it is erroneously taught, I think that's the right one, in the church today, that the LDS Church controls the priesthood and that they are interwoven together. John A. Widstow supported this idea. <clears throat> Nevertheless, it has been so ordained that whenever the Church of God is upon the earth, all priesthood honors shall or should function within it. Hold on. Okay. Uh, all priesthood honors should function within it. The church is the keeper under the Lord of the plan of salvation and of the priesthood necessary to carry out the provisions of the plan. There can be no holders of the priesthood who are independent of the church. The church and priesthood who are interwoven or the church and priesthood are interwoven. When the church is upon the earth, neither can exist independently. Uh, I don't know what that is. I-M-P-E-R-A, September of 1936. But the Lord himself Okay. It's Improvement yeah. Era. And this was given by the apostate during the apostate time in uh, 1936. I want you to realize something, people who are listening out there. Every single branch that broke off out of Nauvoo, every single one of them had a priesthood. They were not able to take priesthood away from Lyman or from the Strangites or from Sidney Rigdon or whatever. So this whole idea that priesthood can only be inside the church, no, it, it doesn't have to be inside the church. However... There's another problem, though, because in section 124, it says that Jesus Christ would reject the church if they didn't do what he said. And they didn't. And they continue not to do what he said. So anyway, I'm going to go through this cut. It's going to break up, so I'll just mute myself. Okay. Well, I'm going to continue reading in that case. <clears throat> imperial era. But the Lord himself had said, all other authorities or offices in the church are appendages to this priesthood. D&C, volume 107, page 5. Even the church is an appendage of the priesthood. 
The dictionary definition of appendage is anything appended, supplementary, or subordinate. Page 204. Anything to say, Dad? Uh, hold on. I'm trying to get Mom on. Hello, Kim. Okay. How are you? Mom! Okay, she's unmuted, so I don't know why she's not talking. Weird. Uh, Mom! Okay, sorry, I was unmuting with the wrong thing. <laughs> I unmuted with the head, headset, and it was, like, um, muted on the phone. So I was like, oh, man. Oh, yeah, I, only, I usually just use the headset to mute myself. That way I don't forget which one I'm... Sometimes I'm like, can I mute on the phone? Am I muted on the headset? Oh, I can't. Uh, luckily, when I'm muted on the headset, it does beep every 10 seconds, so I just have to wait to hear a beep. So, anyway, oh, how yeah. are you and where where are you tonight? <coughs> well, I'm... In price, I'm going to be leaving soon. Um, I Time. should take more Dayquil because <laughs> I have this runny nose, <laughs> which is like oh my, uh, trying to answer the phone and not drip. Out. I know. <clears throat> I did get some medicine oh, for it. You can't um, and then over. before the radio show started, I actually called to ask Emmett if he had followed my instructions and done the chicken for dinner. He did not, and... I am now coming home right late because I'm trying to finish all of this stuff to be ready for school, you know. And it, there's so yeah, much stuff for me to do. When you don't yeah. do what you're asked to do on, on time, it just makes it all screwed up. So if Walmart yeah. I ask you to do something, just do it when you're told to do it. Yeah. So now... Like, well, I'll explain the consequence. So right now, 9 o'clock, the other kids have not eaten, and I don't want, I won't get home until probably 20 minutes from now, so I'm stopping to grab them food, which I would not have had to go and do if he had done what he said he was going to do. But I'm going to do that so that I'm not awake until 11 o'clock with the girls and feeding them. So that's what I'm doing now. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm probably going to meet you, too, sometime, if you want me to. I don't know how you're going to meet me, because I'm about four, three miles from Ridge Road. You know, and I'm I'm going over to Wellington, I'm headed over to Lila, so I don't think you're going to catch me. And that really sucks, too, because Emma, she was going to make food for me. So that I had more food than just a sandwich and some fruit. But because you didn't do what you were supposed to do, now I don't get to eat. So, anyway. All right, well, let's get off this little tangent and get back into the reading. Go ahead, Emma. Okay. I'm going to continue reading then. I think we're on page 204. Let us ask ourselves, by what authority was the church organized? Did the priesthood organize the church, or did the church establish the priesthood? Obviously, the organizing power is greater than that which is organized. The builder of a house is greater than the house. A church is just one of many functions of priesthood. Priesthood existed before the creation of the church. 
or of the world or the church. Oh. Unfortunately, a tradition has grown among or grown up amongst the state the saints that the church is the highest organization. The ultimate power and order of God. It had become or has become more important than the gospel or the priesthood, and the saints frequently bear testimony to the truthfulness of the church rather than the gospel of Jesus Christ. Oh the my church gosh. and the priesthood Hello. I'm sorry, I have to interrupt you because that something has driven me nuts for many, many, many years. <laughs> Excuse me. And it only drives me nuts because even before I was kicked out of the church for my testimony of the Father and the Son by a wicked state president up in Vermont, I knew that the church had changed things. The church is not eternal. I know a lot of people want to think it is, but it always goes into apostasy. Every single time it's been re reestablished on the earth, it goes into apostasy. But the gospel does not change. Even if the church tries to change the gospel, which it did back in the early Christian era, and it has in this time, in this last dispensation, um... The, the gospel doesn't change, even if man tries to change it. So when people get up and they share their testimony of how they know the church is true, okay, well, the church lied to you. Uh, okay, so the church either lied to you about the Adam-God doctrine from 1854 or whatever it was until like 1901, or they didn't. And it wasn't, it wasn't a theory. If you actually go and you read it, uh, Brigham Young talked about how Brig uh, Joseph Smith ta uh, taught him these things, and you can find uh, the examples in church history where uh, Joseph Smith didn't come out and say it the way Brigham Young said it, but he was still teaching the same principle. But now, Booster McConkie, back in the 70s and 80s, he wants to say that Brigham Young taught seven deadly heresies. Now, they'll also tell you that, that uh, you know, the president of the church cannot lead the church astray. But out of the, the other side of their mouth, through their great big old flipping schizophrenia, they say, Dudley Her he, taught the, he taught things were her heretical. president of the church from eight, uh, 1840 or whatever it was until 1877 he taught seven deadly heresies and then they want to gaslight you about it and they don't want you to read the quotes from Doctrinal History of the Church or Brigham Young Discourses of Brigham Young or the Journal of Discourses or whatever you know because they got to cover it up because they have to make things all sweet and smooth so that normal people from the Christian nations will say well this is a great thing, and, and it's not so much very different from uh, from what we have, but I'm sorry, the restoration of the gospel, if it's different, it's because there has been an apostasy in, in the early church, and it was restored. And I'm sorry if you don't like that, but that's what Joseph Smith did. He, and uh, you know, the devil always tries to attack Joseph Smith's character, but 
the doctrine that Joseph Smith taught is so beautiful, and it's true. And Brigham Young taught it, and he learned it from Joseph Smith, you know, but, and he tried to teach it. But now the church wants to get away from all of that, you know. So, um, so they want you to trust them. They want you to trust that they will never lead you astray. But then they'll say, but Brigham Young did, but he just didn't understand, and he just was a product of his time, and let's make up as many excuses as we can so that we can get around this hard truth that Brigham Young taught these things. Well, I'm sorry. Uh, the church is trying to capitulate with the world so it can be friends and gain more converts. <laughs> Excuse me. To gain more power and more money. That's all it's about. It's not about redeeming Zion. I'm sorry if you think it is. And you know what? I'm sorry. As a gospel doctrine teacher, I used to ask people if they knew what, rede- uh, what Zion's redemption was. So many people had no idea what that even meant. And they were like upstanding members of the church. So anyway, I'm going to let you uh, keep reading, and I'm going to mute myself because I think I've had enough tangents with me tonight. Go ahead, Emma. <laughs> okay. Oh, boy. <laughs> uh, the builder of the house is greater than the house. A church is just one of the many functions of the priesthood. Uh, priesthood existed before the creation of the world or the church. Unfortunately, a tradition has run up amongst the saints that the church is the highest organization, the ultimate power and order of God. It has become more important than the gospel of the priesthood, and the saints frequently bear the gospel of the priesthood. Hold on. Cough, and it's so annoying. And the saints frequently bear testimony to the truthfulness of the church rather than the gospel of Jesus Christ. The church and the priesthood can go in different directions, as Brigham Young expressed. Does the church want it as God organized it, or do you want the key, or do you want to clip the power of the priesthood and let those who have the keys of the priesthood go and build up the kingdom in all the world, independent of the church, wherever the people will hear them? The doctrinal history of the church, I think, DHC. Volume 7, page 235. He was saying that it was possible for the church to lose the power of the priesthood by taking a different course than that which was outlined by the Lord. In such, uh, in such a case, men with the priesthood can, could still continue on to build up the kingdom of God. Did I lose you? Can anybody hear me? I I hear you. Hi, Mom. I haven't. I was on Wash Point Hill, so I thought I was breaking up. Demo break up. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. But I can hear him now. And I had to blow my nose, or I would have said something earlier. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So, um, just for the guest callers, anybody who does call in. Uh, at the end of the reading, we'll take questions. If you push one, if you don't, then I won't answer the line. Because if you push one, though, it'll let us know. But we won't take questions or comments until after the reading. So go ahead, Emmett. 
Yeah, uh, the guest call-in number is 917-889-8827. So if you want to call that, <laughs> do. Um, okay. He was saying that it was possible for the church to lose the power of the priesthood by taking a different course. Oh, no, did I get to that page? Yeah, I got to the next one. I completely forgot. Hold on. Okay. Some neglect or betray their priesthood, while others go beyond their calling and assume more than they have been given. In each case, they become a law unto themselves by disobeying the laws of the priesthood, and both types eventually lose the keys they once held. Are the heads of governments and churches leaders or servants? Oh, there's no comma there. Are the heads of governments and churches leaders or servants? This was asked and answered by LDS author Dwayne Crother. Crother. I don't know how to pronounce that. In American government, the basic Crowther. understanding is that... Crowther. 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 Okay. <laughs> uh, in the American government, the basis or the basic understanding is that the government exists by the content or the con- consent of the people. And to serve the people, the government is the servant. The people are the master. Is it the same in the church? In situations where church policies get too far ahead of the people and begin to exert a degree of of compulsion so that some members perceive themselves to be compelled to take action they really don't wish to take. The question... Hold on. Okay, well, Emmett is having these little technical difficulties. I'm going to just give you an example of some policies the church has gone on to. They they say that these are revelations, right? Well, well, before President Monson died, they came up with the November, basically excluded the children of homosexual parents the ability to receive baptism or any other ordinances or go on a mission unless they completely, um, you know, uh, I can't remember what the word is for it. They basically disown their parents. Denounce. Now, this, what's Denounce. Yeah. For. So what, everybody gets uh, uh, all upset about this, and finally they're all like, oh, well, never mind, you know, they withdraw that policy, and they said it was a revelation. Because uh, Russell M. Nelson is so hell-bent on having relations, he doesn't get any. But they've been doing this to uh, families, uh, children of polygamous marriages that wanted to leave Mormon fundamentalism and be part of the mainstream church. They've been doing this for years. You know, um, the Browns in uh, uh, Sister Wives, uh, that Sister Wives program on TLC, like one of the kids wanted just join the LDS church and leave uh, fundamentalism, and they they weren't allowed to. So, which goes against the article of faith, which talk about how the sins of the parents are not, uh, you know, placed upon the, the children. But in this scenario, with the November 5th policy, and what they had done before this, the fundamentalist children, that's exactly what they're, they, they say one thing in the article of faith, but then they do another thing, where the sins of the parents actually condemn the children, which, I don't know, it's just, it's just 
two-faced, two-faced schizophrenia uh, of the of the leadership of the church, and they claim it comes from revelation and God until everybody gets all bent out of shape about it, which they should. And then they're all like, oh, God decided to change his mind because the gospel of eternity is not eternal. It's only, uh, you know, whatever the whims of the people at the time and whatever. It's all about popularity with these people. And, and really it's all about control and how much money they can get you to pay them in tithing. Anyway, go ahead, Emma, if you figured out where you're at. Uh, I'm not, like, cutting out or anything. I'm just having, like, a really bad cough, and people don't want me to, like, cough in their ear, I assume, so I just, like, mute for a second. (laughs) In American government, the basic understanding is that the government exists by the consent of the people and to serve the people. The government is the servant. The people are the master. Is it the same in the church? In situations where church policies get too far ahead of the people and begin to exert a degree of compulsion so that some members perceive themselves to be compelled to take action they really don't wish to take, the question begins to be raised as to who is to serve whom. Is the church leadership to serve the saints, or are the saints to serve the leaders? Thus saith the Lord, page 250. The Lord can promote his work of the priesthood in many different ways. In his churches, or in churches, within a kingdom or among individual prophets and saints. Hold on, I'm going to... That's okay, because I was going to say, when it comes to um, God or Christ, when you look at Christ when he was on the earth and what he was doing, he was the greatest of all He served others with his priesthood, with his authority, with... um, with all the things that he did, he did it to better and help out everybody around him. That's who he was. He was the servant of all. And um, you're supposed to be like him. Everybody's supposed to strive to be like him, serving others, serving everybody. Uh, if you Long suffering and persuasion yeah. with love and tenderness, yeah. that is what God is. That's who God is. But that's not... Right. What and I was just going to say, uh, many if of you the look at, the church. right, because if you look at government and earthly um, government and they uh, go under the guise that they're supposed to be helping people, but really people are serving their government. That's, you know, ask not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country, you know. Um, they changed it around so that... <clears throat> the people would serve them and pay them to uh, rule them. It's uh, more of a kingship and uh, instead of, it's like a monarchy, instead of what was intended to be. And so the church, um, well, because it's been a lot of generations since Joseph Smith has uh, died and, you know, been martyred. Anyway, murdered. And since because we strayed so far away from that, the original, what it was supposed to be set up as, um, it's turned into a government, uh, a religious government of sorts um, instead. And so that's what we're left with right now. We have a bunch of people who well, want to rule. So there's a really good book about this. It's called uh, Parallel um, Parallel Orders, something like that. It's an Ogden Kraut book. You can go to ogdenkraut.com and click on Reed Ogden's books and then go down to, I can't remember exactly what it's called. It, it's, it's parallel 
something. Anyway, but um, it talks about the how the the government was set up, which uh, was set up by Constitution, which is is scripture basically. Uh, there's things in it, whatever. Anyway, but how the nation has gone into apostasy from what its foundation was, and how the church has gone into apostasy from what its foundation was. And you can see these parallel apostasies happening at the same time. Over a long period of time, Satan has gotten a little changes in things, and he's, he's destroying the Constitution. But he's also destroying the foundation of the Restoration. So in this book, it lays out parallel principles, I think it's called. And like I said, OgdenCrab.com, that's O-G-D-E-N-K-R-A-U-T.com, and it's really good, a really good book, uh, you know, for somebody to go and take a look at that. So anyway, I'll mute myself again. Okay. Well, I'm going to continue reading. The Lord can, uh, yeah, I did say that quote. The Lord can promote his work of the priesthood in many different ways, in churches, within a kingdom, or among individuals, prophets, and saints. He may have several prophets on the earth at the same time in different places, and they may not even be aware of each other, just as he did around Jerusalem at the, at the time Lehi left. The church is merely a schoolhouse with the fundamental saving ordinances. Brigham Young explained, A man may be a prophet, seer, and revelator, and it may have nothing to do with his being president of the church. Contributor 10.3. And we might add, it may have nothing to do with being a member of the church either. The church may or may not have the keys of the priesthood, depending on the laws they advocate, advocate and obey. Page 206. Anything to say? Just keep reading. Okay. The or keys go with a calling from the Lord. They do not necessarily go with all those who are ordained, blessed, or set apart, as Christian ministers may bless and ordain and give church offices, but it may have nothing to do with priesthood keys. Even all men in the Mormon church who are ordained, blessed, or set apart may not necessarily have priesthood keys. When the children of Israel would not accept the higher laws of the priesthood, the Lord allowed them to live by numerous lesser laws and programs to keep them so busy they could not get into sin. The church today has programs, games, outings, recreations, plays, singing programs, and meetings to plan other meetings. <laughs> All these are the niceties, or, yeah, niceties of, the, of a church. Hold on. The niceties of the church. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that right. <laughs> oh, I looked away for a second. But they are not, or they are not promoting the higher laws of the gospel or the priesthood. We frequently hear the expression, "There is only one true and living church on the earth," which, in one sense, is true, but in another, it is not. Immediately after his resurrection. <laughs> Immediately after his resurrection, uh, the Lord appeared to his apostles and directed them in the work of the church, which he had organized. Then, at about the same time, he appeared to the Nephites in the Western Hemisphere. There's a little O above it. I don't know what that means. 
and again established his church with apostles and the priesthood and the authority to baptize and give the Holy Ghost. See Third Nephi, uh, chapter 11, verses 24 to 28. Okay, 24 to 28. Thus churches, or thus Christ established two churches on the earth at the same time complete with offices and callings, i.e. twelve apostles, teachers, deacons, elders, priests, and high priests. Certainly, if such churches or such church offices exist, they must have had the church. Uh, page 207, anything to say? No, I'll just keep on reading. Miss Bethany. Uh, I don't think it's necessities, it is spelt weird. Uh, N-I-C-E-T-I-E-S. Yeah, well, uh, sometimes the editing isn't the greatest with the book, so you have to look at the word and try to understand that sometimes they misspell things. So, anyway, go ahead, Emma, just read the book. Okay. Continuing reading the book. Page 207. President Brigham Young confirmed this. He, Jesus, was seen to come from heaven down into the midst of the people. He organized his church amongst them, healed the sick, and left his church and gospel in their midst. For 300 years, the people on the continents of North and South America were benefited by the work of the Savior in organizing his church and revealing every principle and ordinance calculated to assist them back into the presence of God. Journal of Discourses. Hold on. Journal of Discourses, chapter 13, or volume 13, page 174 to 175. Uh, as, and Orson Pratt had the same understanding. Did Jesus and his disciples organize the church in Asia with revelators and inspired men with it, or in it, with prophets and prophetesses, with dreams, visions, and revelations? So did the ancient Israelites in America do the same thing. They, the ancient apostles, organized the church with miracles and gifts, with the power to heal the sick, to cast out devils, to work... Hold on. Uh, okay. They, the ancient apostles, organized the church with, with miracles and gifts, with power to heal the sick, to cast out devils, to work miracles, and with power over the elements. The Book of Mormon tells us that the Israelites in ancient America organized one after the same pattern. Consequently, if we examine the whole scru- structure of the church in Palestine and the structure of the church in ancient America, we find no jar. Journal of Discourses, Volume 7, page 34. Christ also told the Nephites, I have other sheep which are not of this land, neither of the land of Jerusalem, neither in any parts of that land. But I have received the commandment of the Father that I shall go unto them, and they shall hear my voice, and shall be numbered among my sheep. Third Nephi 16, 1, 3. Uh, chapter 16, verses 1 and 3. Thus, it is highly possible that he organized even another church, and in that case, wouldn't he have given them the priesthood with attending keys? Page 208, anything to well, in the Doctrine and Covenants, he actually does talk about other men who you know not of. 
you know, many he has called that were not part of the restoration or the church. So, you know, um, if, if God wants to restore truth or priesthood to a group of individuals that are not a member or not part of the restoration, then he has the right to do that. Also, when Jesus said, other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also must I bring, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. He said that shortly before the end of his ministry in Jerusalem, in Judea. He never went to anybody else to fulfill that prophecy in mortality. But he did go and fulfill that prophecy unbeknownst to the ancient world and the apostles in Jerusalem because he appeared in the ancient Americas to the people in Zarahemla and there were other people that he had to go to as well that were not part of either of those groups. So um, at least three different groups of people he went among. You know, so, um, and there's actually, I, I believe there's many more people that he went among besides the uh, people of the sick of Ephraim, or the Ephraimites that were split off from the Assyrian captivity, and um, and the Jews in, in Palestine. Like, he went among other people as well. But he went among his people, which are the whole house of the, uh, the whole tribe of the house of all of the tribes of the house of Israel. Anyway, we're on page 108, or no, 208. So uh, you still have a couple of pages, so stop. Just just read it, Emmett, so that we can get through this. Uh, and then if I have anything to say at the end of the reading, then I'll do it at that time. Go ahead, Emmett. Okay, awesome. Ugh. It is evident that these churches were appendages to the priesthood work, not the priesthood as an appendage to church work. The keys come through the priesthood to the church, not the reverse. The church and the kingdom are separate. I guess it's a new section. John the Revelator gave an interesting prophetic parable about an organization which was separate from the church. And there appeared a great sign in heaven... In the likeness of things on earth, a woman clothed with the sun and the moon under her feet, and upon her head a crown of twelve stars, twelve apostles. And the woman being with child, cried, traveling in birth, or travailing in birth, and painted to be delivered, uh, and painted to be delivered, and she brought forth a man-child, who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and the dragon stood before this woman, which was delivered, ready to devour her child after it was born. And the dragon prevailed not against Michael, neither the child, nor the woman, which was the church of God, who had been delivered of her pains, and brought forth the kingdom of our God in his Christ. Revelations chapter 12, verses 1, 2, 4, 7. Uh, inspired translation, I think is that. Uh, in the previous section of this chapter, it was shown that there existed at least two churches at the same time. And now comes another organization called the Kingdom of God, which can also exist simultaneously. God's work is the work of the priesthood, and the church is merely one of the organizations the Lord may so select to promote his work, through which the keys may be given. In John's prophecy of the kingdom and the church, 
it is interesting to note. It is interesting to note. I read a headline that I missed. It's interesting to note that it was the kingdom that the dragon wanted to devour, not the church. Apparently, he's more threatened by and opposed to the kingdom of God than he is the church. Page 209. 209. In the four Gospels Gospels of Christ, the word kingdom appears appears 201 times, yet Jesus, Jesus mentioned his church only twice. Hold on. Okay, I have a lot of phlegm in my throat. Ugh, I can't breathe. (laughs) Page 209. In the four Gospels of Christ, the word kingdom appears 201 times, yet Jesus, Jesus mentioned his church only twice. The establishment of the kingdom, the priesthood of the kingdom, and the gospel of the kingdom were evidently much more important than the church. And for that matter, they still are. Jesus said... But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Matthew chapter 6, verses 33. Or verse 33. Brigham Young concurred with John's testimony that the church gave birth to the kingdom. As observed by one of the speakers this morning, that kingdom grows out of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, but it is not the church, for a man may be a legislator in that body which will issue laws to sustain the inhabitants of this earth in their individual rights and still not belong to the Church of Jesus Christ at all. Journal of Discourses, Volume 2, page 310. Okay, 210. And George Q. Cannon said the same thing. The kingdom of God is a separate organization from the church of God. There may be men acting as officers in the kingdom of God who will not be members of the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. On this point, the prophet Joseph gave a particular instruction or gave particular instructions before his death and gave an example which he asked the younger elders who were present to always remember. It was to the effect that men might be chosen to officiate as members of the kingdom of God who had no standing in the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. The kingdom of God, when established, will not be for the protection of the Church of Jesus Christ alone, but for the protection of all men, whatever their religious views or opinions may be. Under its rule, no one will be permitted to overstep the proper bounds or to interfere with the rights of others. Doctrinal History of the Church, page, or Volume 7, page 382. Page 210. John Taylor also briefly explained, the kingdom of God is the government of God on the earth or in the heavens. The government of God, Taylor, page 1. <laughs> As previously mentioned, governments are created for serving and protecting, not controlling. The prophet Daniel, when interpreting the dream of uh, Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar, oh. and describing what shall be in the, la- or in the latter days prophesied, and in the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom which shall never be destroyed, and the kingdom shall not be left to other people, but it shall break in pieces and consume all these kingdoms, and it shall stand forever. Uh, Daniel, I think, uh, 2.44. Joseph Smith organized both the church and the kingdom before he was killed. 
President Brigham Young said, as it was observed by Brother Pratt, that kingdom is actually organized, and the inhabitants of the earth do not know it. If this people know anything about it, all right, it is organized uh, preparatorily, or preparatory to taking effect in the due time of the Lord and in the manner that shall please him. Journal of Discourses, Volume 2, page 310. The keys of the kingdom of God were given to Joseph Smith, and he established that organization. But before the kingdom of God had been organized by the church as a separate entity, the keys of the kingdom were within the church. For example, when the LDS church was only one year old, Lord said, Lift up your hearts and rejoice, for you, er, for unto you the kingdom, or in other words, the keys of the church have been given. B and C, uh, volume 42, page 69. At that time, they were functioning as one and the same. But according to John, the revelator, uh, he described the church as a woman who gives birth to the kingdom, showing a distinction between the two. See Revelations uh, 12, 5, and 13. Chapter 12, verses 5 and 13. Uh, we are on page 211. So ordinarily the church and the kingdom exist as two separate entities, and as evidenced by the Lord's language, church and kingdom. See D and C, uh, 72, 14, uh, 84, 34, 90, 16, and 104, 59. In 1843, the church leaders set apart men into the organization of the kingdom of God, at which time the church and the kingdom became two distinct organizations. Then there were keys to the church organization and also keys to the kingdom organization. Through the years, however, the saints have promoted the church and dropped the kingdom, just like the children of Israel and the Jews at the time of Christ. So what will be the destiny of the Mormon people because of their rejecting this kingdom and promoting kings, presidents, rulers, and magistrates, and obeying, honoring, and sustaining the laws of the kingdoms of the world? History certainly does repeat itself. Any Melchizedek priesthood holder who believes in supporting the, gover er, the government in anti-constitutional anti programs, which seems to include most of them, <laughs> or the international community and the New World Order does not understand the holy priesthood, the laws of God, or the kingdom of God. Hold on, I've got a cough. Not understand... Okay. With the continuation of such a condition, the keys of the kingdom would surely be turned against them. Apostasy from and of the church. Uh, I think this is the last section, uh, at least in this part. Most people assume that when a church increases in numbers and in prosperity, that it must be on the right course and is blessed by the Lord. But quantity is no substitute for quality. A church organization may appear beautiful on the outside, but full of corrupt doctrine on the inside. As Jesus rebuked the leaders of the church in his day. Uh, we are on page 212. Hold on. 212. Woe unto you, scribes and the Pharisees, or scribes, Pharisees, and hypocrites. For ye make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Matthew chapter, yeah, chapter 23, verse 25. The question thus arises, how do we know when a church is on the proper course? Apostle Parley P. Pratt, that's a tongue twister, 
gave us some important guidelines. Search the sacred writings of the apostles for or of old for any other order of apostles, ministers, ordinances, gifts, or powers as constituting the true church or connected with it. Then the order is set forth in the foregoing pages, and you will search in vain. The New Testament system was a system of inspiration, apostolic powers, miracles, healings, revelations, prophesying, visions, angels, and all the gifts recorded in that book. It was a system of ordinances. Such was the New Testament system. Peter himself had no right to alter it, neither had Paul. In so doing, they would have forfeited their apostolic powers and their Christian standing, and would have been accursed, as it is written by Paul. Though we, or an angel from heaven, preach any other gospel, let him be accursed. Hold on. <laughs> let him be accursed. Has the foregoing order of things been handed down in purity and power to this day? Its apostleship, its powers of vision, revelation, prophecy, miracles, gifts, ordinances, and powers unaltered. Unimpaired, unperverted? If so, we have apostles, church, etc. Now with a new dispensation or a new commission. <clears throat> if not so, then there is no apostleship, no church, no Christian ministry, and gifts on the earth, except commissioned by a new dispensation. Proclamation, Parley P. Pratt, September 18th, 1852. Millennial Star, uh... Volume 14, I guess, page 466. See also Sermons and Writings, Pioneer Press, uh, Volume 3, page 93, and we're on page 213. If these gifts and powers of the gospel, i.e. miracles, revelations, prophesying, visions, angels, etc., are indications of the Lord's Church, then where are they today? There's this distinctive difference between the gospel and the church. And even though we speak of the restoration of both of them, they actually occurred at different times. The church is an organization, where, whereas the gospel consists of principles, laws, and ordinances. The Church of Jesus Christ was a sword restored and organized on April 6, 1830. The gospel was restored little by little, principle by principle, as the Lord saw fit. The two should function together, but oftentimes they become separated. According to Brigham Young, the church in his day was flourishing, but apparently the living gospel was not. I sometimes think I would be willing to give anything, yes, almost anything in reason, to see one fully organized branch of this kingdom, one fully organized warden. Is there even in this territory a fully organized warden? Not one. It may be asked, why do you not fully organize the church? Because the people are incapable of being organized. I could organize a large ward which would be subject to that full organization by selecting families from the different wards. Hold on. Okay. Uh, um, uh, I could organize a large ward which would be, yeah? If you know that you're having issues before you do the radio show from now on, go upstairs, get some NyQuil or something, or DayQuil, actually, and take it before you read. 
Okay, because that's what I do. When I'm sick, like I am, I will take some medicine. That way I'm not stopping and coughing all over the program. Just try to remember that next time, okay? Yeah, I guess it's just because I'm talking, because I haven't been having problems, like, with coughing, really. Just had, like, a nose and a bit you, of a sore throat, but... You don't talk that much, and it's the same way when I'm doing the program. So, like, if I'm coughing a little bit, and I do the radio show without, like, taking some medicine, I will cough all through the show. It's just because you're talking a lot, so... Anyway, just a little bit of advice in the future for you to consider. All right, I'll mute myself again. You're doing a good job, despite being okay. sick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it's kind of annoying. <laughs> okay, I'm going to continue. Okay, I could organize a large ward which would be subject to that full organization by selecting families from the different wards. But at present, such a branch of the church is not in existence. Journal of Discourses, Volume 10, page 20. I have had visions and revelations instructing me how to organize this people so that they can live like the family of heaven. But I cannot do it while so much selfishness and wickedness reign in the elders of Israel. Journal of Discourses, Volume 9, page 269. Page 214. And certainly conditions have not gotten any better in the last 50 years. Both the Church of Jesus Christ and the government of the United States have changed. And I would say they've changed drastically. The Church has deviated from the laws of their doctrine and covenants, and the government has deviated from their constitution. Both are out of order, and both will have to be set in order. What causes this apostasy of a church? Let's look to the Nephites in the Book of Mormon and see what happened 200 years after Christ appeared to them. And now, in this 201st year, there began to be among them those who were lifted up in pride, such as the wearing of costly apparel, and all manner of fine pearls, and of the fine things of the world. And from that time forth, they did have their goods, and their substance no more common among them. And they began to be divided into classes, and they began to build up churches unto themselves to get a gain and to begin to deny, or and began to deny, the true church of Christ. And it came to pass that when 210 years had passed away, there were many churches in the land, yea, there were many churches which professed to know the Christ, and yet they did deny the more parts of his gospel, insomuch that they did receive all manner of wickedness, and did administer that which was sacred unto him, to whom it had been forbidden, because of unworthiness. And this church did multiply exceedingly because of iniquity and because of the power of Satan who did get hold upon their hearts. 4th Nephi, chapter 1, verses 24 to 28. In summary, these were the causes and results. If you can hear that I've unmuted myself but I'm not saying anything, that probably means that at the end of the quote, you need to ask me if I have something to say, because I know you can hear it when I unmute. Okay. Uh, I was just going to finish that, because I had one sentence I, after that until the end of the page. Uh, okay, I was just waiting for you to finish the quote. So, all right, anyway, the Book of Mormon was written for our time as a warning to us in our time. 
when people want to sit there and say, oh, that doesn't possibly mean, like, like they don't see that, that they're doing exactly what, what, you know, the Nephites did when they went into apostasy. It's the same thing. So um, I just wanted to make that point. But if you hear me unmute myself, I don't care if it's almost the end of the page. When you're done with a quote, that means I want to say something about what the quote is. Okay? Because I don't know. I'm not looking at the page. So, all right, go ahead. Okay. In summary, these were the causes and results of apostasy. And we're on page 215. Anything to say that? <laughs> I'm going to continue reading. Seriously. Costly jewelry and clothes. Find things of the world. Uh, you have something to say? <laughs> uh, no united order. No, I just don't know why you're like, do you have anything to say after I just said something, one sentence before you finished? I know, I said it as a joke, okay. but that's why I had that tone of voice. I know. <laughs> if you hear me unmute myself, I'm not going to try to interrupt you because it's not good when I'm, like, talking over you or when you're talking over anyone else. But you'll hear, you can hear the background noise. Just when you get to the end of whatever quote it is, then I'll say whatever I have to say. I'll try to do that, and that way you don't have to say... Do you have anything to say? Okay, so if I unmute myself, then when you're done with whatever quote you're reading, whatever, then let me talk, okay? Okay. Okay, thank you. <laughs> Continuing on. <laughs> uh, <laughs> okay, in summary, these were the causes and results of apostasy. Pride, costly jewelry and clothes, fine things of the world, no united order, class distinction, using the church for gain, rejecting the original doctrines, denying parts of the gospel, tolerating wickedness. Those were the things. The reader can decide for himself if there are any similarities between these conditions of the Nephites and those in the LDS church today. James E. Talmadge identifies three major causes for the apostasy from the early Christian church. The parenthetical expressions follow each item are those of this author. Following each item, okay. The church was undergoing internal deterioration and was in a state of increasing perversion. Among the more detailed or specific causes of this ever-widening departure from the spirit of the gospel of Christ, this rapidly growing apostasy, the following may be considered as important examples. First, the corrupting of the simple principles of the gospel by the admixture of the so-called philosophic systems of times, such as honoring, sustaining, and obeying the laws of the land, regardless of how corrupt they become, in preference to the laws of God. Second, unauthorized additions to the ceremonies of the church and the introduction of vital changes in essential ordinances, such as changing the temple ceremony, eliminating rebaptism, and traveling without purse or script, abandoning the United Order. I think the traveling without purse or script thing, I've heard of that before. Uh, that's like they would just send missionaries. Now they send them and they have all these things. They have people they stay with, all that. And before you would like go on a mission, 
and you wouldn't take anything with you, and God would supply you with stuff, basically. I think is that. <laughs> but that's cool. <laughs> uh, abandoning the United Order, etc. Uh, page two hundred and sixteen. Anything to say? Uh, I'll take that as a no. Three, or third, unauthorized changes in the church organization and government, such as doing away with the church patriarch and abolishing the local 70s, or the local level 70s, etc. The Great Apostasy, Talmadge, PP 90-91. The church's interpretation of the term apostasy has even changed. The following comes from a recent bishop's handbook. This might be outdated because this book is old. <laughs> As used here... Apostasy refers to the members who first repeatedly act in clear, open, and deliberate public opposition to the church or its leaders. Second, persist in teaching as the or as church doctrine information that is not church doctrine after being corrected by their bishops or higher authority. Or third, continue to follow the teachings of apostate cults, such as those that advocate plural marriage after being corrected by their bishops or higher authority. In such cases, excommunication may be necessary when repentance is not evident after counseling and encouragement, total inactivity in the church or attending, or merely holding membership in another church does not constitute apostasy. Bishop's Handbook of March 1989, 10-3. So yeah, it's a bit old. <laughs> In other words, if you are an active member of the church, going to every meeting, paying full tithing, keeping the word of wisdom, holding a temple recommend, uh, doing all of your genealogy and teaching classes, but follow the teachings of those who advocate plural marriage or doctrines taught by Joseph Smith and Brigham Young that constitutes apostasy, or that constitutes apostasy. However, on the other hand, if you are totally inactive, giving the church no support, economic, social, or spiritual, and, and you join some other church, such as the Catholics, and follow the teachings of the Pope, that is not apostasy. On page 217, I think he has something to say. Yeah. Um, so, like, back in 2012, I had no idea that Bruce R. McConkie had said that, that um, the Adam God doctrine was part of the you know, seven deadly heresies if you led the church astray with with his ideas, whatever, the theories, because that's what they say now. They're just theories. Now, actually, you could be excommunicated for not believing that doctrine. But I didn't know that the church had changed on that point. And I remember we were in our branch in, um, in Vermont, where we used to go to and lived in upstate New Hampshire, and I was talking to somebody, and I was just talking about, like, the Adam-God doctrine. And he flipped out. And I had no idea that the church was so vehemently opposed against Brigham Young and all of the other people who taught it, including Joseph Smith, um, that, you know, that they, they uh, you know, you could be excommunicated. Now, I should have known, but I didn't. I just didn't understand. My aunt, back in uh, the 80s, um, she didn't know either that the church was opposed to the Adam-God doctrine. And um, 
you know, she was talking to her bishop, and her bishop said, you know, if it wasn't for the fact that you have nine kids who are in the church, I would excommunicate you on the spot, which you can't even do. But that's what he said, uh, because you believe the Adam-God doctrine. And it's like, but Brigham Young taught it, and Heber C. Kimball taught it, jo- uh, John Taylor, Joseph Smith even taught it. He may not have called it the Adam-God doctrine, but he did teach it. He taught that Adam has all of the keys and was the presiding president of this earth. There is a presidency for every earth, according to Joseph Smith. And it is God the Creator who is the Father, God the Son who is the Redeemer, and God the Witness who is the Holy Ghost. Well, in the endowment, we know that the Elohim, which is the Council of the Mighty Ones, or the gods, they instructed Jehovah, our Elohim, to take Michael to create this earth. And Michael was the one that did the work in the endowment. He's the one that did the work under the direction of Jehovah, our Elohim, who is our Father, not our Savior. Um, which I can go deeper into that, and I'm not going to do that on this program at this time. But the one who created this earth or organized it under the direction of Jehovah, our Elohim, was Michael, and Michael became Adam. He is the father of this earth, both, both physically. We all come from him, and spiritually, because of the law of adoption, because he was a savior on an older earth, which is part of multiple mortal probations, which the church does not teach anymore. You know, but it was uh, the last lecture that Joseph Smith gave, the lecture at the Grove, if you want to go look it up on the the Internet. Uh, If you look up the lecture on the Grove on YouTube, you can find me reading it or a reader program reading it, you know, and read it for yourself. But but Joseph Smith talks about how Michael has the keys of this earth, the presiding keys. He's the one that returned to Adam and Andiamon to, uh, to do the things that needed to be done, you know, to gather up all the keys and then give them to his son, Jesus. So... You know, but I didn't know that these things were, like, looked down upon. And, uh, you know, then my stake president wants to know how I believe the Adam's Bird Doctrine. I didn't know that I could be punished for it. You know, so, anyway, you'll be an apostasy if you believe Brigham Young. But you're good if you're just going to go join another church and not take your name out of the church. Because, you know, it bolsters the numbers. Anyway, go ahead, Emma. Okay. 217. The devil is so clever at deception that when he leads ministry, they don't even know it. So the apostles think that everybody is wrong but themselves. Brigham Young, Journal of Discourses, Volume 16, page 66. The Lord warned the saints that, the saints that, your minds in the times past have been darkened because of unbelief and because you have treated lightly the things you have received which vanity and unbelief have brought the whole church under condemnation. DMC volume 84, or section 84, uh, pages 54 and 55. Holding keys of the priesthood does not mean automatic protection from being influenced and overtaken by the adversary. The Lord will not force men to be obedient. In spite of circulating emotion, or 
erroneous statements such as the Lord will not la- allow us to be read, led astray. Oh, I'm stuttering now. The Lord will not allow us to be led astray. Powerful military generals may crush and destroy their enemies and capture soldiers, cities, and even nations. But the most cunning and powerful forces are not in the military, but in subtle subversion. The devil uses this subverse tool to gain control of governments and churches and has done has done so well that he claims power over all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. Matthew uh, chapter 4, verse 8. He would rather overtake his enemy rather than destroy him. I said rather twice. As mentioned in the classic statement of the late Dean Inge, history seems to show that the powers of evil have won their greatest triumphs by capturing the organizations which were formed to defeat them, and that when the devil has thus changed the contents of the bottles, he never alters the labels. The fort may have been captured by the enemy, but it still flies the flag of its defenders. Prophets, Principles of National Survival, J. L. Newquist, page 336. In conclusion, we quote from Ezra Taft Benson, page 218, and I'm going to finish this first. With the passing of the apostles of Christ and the loss of the priesthood keys, correct doctrines were introduced into the church. In the words of one eminent historian, Christianity did not destroy paganism, it adopted it. Teachings of Ezra Taft Benson, page 86. With the passing of time, the correct order and doctrines of the church have passed away. Through attrition of the noble and valiant leaders and indifference and changes instigated by the rest, in a similar manner the kingdom has suffered the same fate, with its organization and long-range objectives dissolving into the past. As both the church and the kingdom have adopted worldly, or worldly customs and laws, the keys of both have diminished. And that is the end of chapter 12, page 219, the beginning of chapter 13, the church of the firstborn. Um, the guest call okay. number is 917-889-8827, and my dad has something to say. Um, I just wanted to ask you, before you do the reading, do we have any comments in the chat room? Can you refresh it real quick? We did have some callers that yep. called in, but they never raised their hand, so I don't know if they um, wanted to push one or whatever, but... Um, Anybody can call in at this time. It's the end of the reading. So any questions about Mormonism, Christianity, or Judaism, I'll answer them to the best of my ability. And then anybody who doesn't want to come on the air, if you call in and you do not raise your hand, and you raise your hand by pushing one, um, after the music and after the program is over with, um, I will not, I will have them at not uh, end the radio program, but we'll put you in the box and we can talk off the air. That's fine. Um, also, if you do have any questions or comments and you don't want to call in, you can use the chat room, which is at blogtalkradio.com forward slash fundamentally Mormon. Also, Emmett did skip a lot of things, and I didn't jump on him about that, but he did. I'm sorry, Emmett, he did. But... Um, you just, you would like stop in the middle of something and you would cough and then you would like skip a paragraph and start reading something else. And I actually do have the reader program and the reader program actually reads about the speed that you read. So I was kind of trying to keep track of things 
and and at the beginning of like I would say something or you would say something, I would pause it so I know exactly where we ended off, and then you would skip a paragraph or two or something. So just to let the audience know, this text that we read tonight is at facebook.com forward slash L-A-Z-U-R-U-S 1977. That's my public profile on Facebook. Also, um, it is at Zion's Redemption Radio and Zion's Redemption Books, and they're both pages on Facebook, as well as Church of Living with Saya and a couple of other places, some groups, LDS, Last Days, Prophecy, and Gospel Discussions, which I am an admin. I am the admin of that group. Also, LDS Gospel Mysteries and other places as well. He's the chosen so, one. What? You are the chosen one, Dad. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. I actually watched a video on TikTok, and, and the guy was like, if you are watching this video, you are the chosen one. And I'm all, what? <laughs> anyway. Uh, we did have so, someone comment, actually. Oh, okay. What did they say? Reality. Uh, spelled slightly different. Uh, said, the church is Israel. Israel is a world without end. Then he says, Exodus 19, 5. Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine. 6. And ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And and a holy nation. Uh, these are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. And he also said, before this, I missed a line apparently, uh, he said, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Israel. This is the priesthood and the progenitors of it. Then he said the church is Israel, and Israel is the world without end. Then he did Exodus well, 19. Okay, anyway. Right, yeah, cool. and but the problem is, okay, so we're supposed to be God's chosen and peculiar people, but Isaiah says that he sees us in the last days, and he calls us the drunkards of Ephraim. Now, Ephraim has the birthright. That's in the Old Testament. But the reason we're drunkards, and I asked God this, and he told me it's because they are drunk on the spirit of Babylon the Great. And then there's other places where he talks about the bride of Christ and the whore of all the earth. And why does he call the church the whore? Because they're supposed to be the bride of Christ, but they go whoring themselves off after pagan gods or other gods. They, they want to be part of the world. Instead of being a peculiar people, they want to be drunk on the spirit of the world. And um, in the New Testament, it says all they, um, it says to be friends with the world is to be in opposition with God or at enmity with God. And that's the state that we find ourselves as a majority of the people of Ephraim today. We are drunk on the spirit of Babylon the Great. We're supposed to be the bride of Christ, but we're actually going after another husband, so we become a whore of all the earth. And all of the churches that come away from the whore, whether they are the Catholic Church or any of the harlots that come off of that, or whether they're the whore, which is the LDS church, or any of the harlots that come off of that, 
a majority of them go whoring themselves off after other gods, and they do not keep God's commandments. They are not a peculiar people, and they need to repent and turn back to their first works, as Jesus says in Revelations chapter 1. So anyway, um, guest call in line is open, like we said before. That phone number is 917-889-8827. And uh, I don't think anybody will call in because uh, I'm not on the host line, but Emma, it did say, it gave you the countdown in your ears, right? Yeah, I was going to say, uh, that countdown is up, so it's recording. Yeah, so uh, uh, for people who are listening to this uh, podcast, we have two hours of live streaming audio. When it goes after the two-hour mark, we have an hour of overdrive that the phone line shut down. So unfortunately, if those people would have stayed on that were listening on the phone, uh, we would have been able to take their calls. Uh, but this chapter took a lot longer than it should have. So it is what it is. Anyway, um, so I don't know. I, and we won't be able to have any phone callers tonight because we're out of, uh, we're in the overdrive portion of the show. So, and then if you want to just read the preview to the next show, and then we'll uh, we'll end the program at that point. Just uh, let me just read the first page. Uh, actually, read the first page and a half, and read all the numbered things that it talks about, and then we'll go to that point. Okay, go ahead, Emma. Okay, well, the numbered parts of the page don't end on, like, numbers. Uh, it ends on the paragraph after the numbers, so... Let's I know that's why I said read, read. This, <laughs> read the first page and then continue on, because I know that the uh, the page, the quote, whatever. Just read the next yeah. two pages. Thank you. <laughs> okay, yeah, that. <laughs> Chapter 13, The Church of the Firstborn. Uh, we are on page 999 of Ensign to the Nations. Uh, we're on page 219 of Volume 6, and we're in Ensign to the Nations, Volume 2 specifically. They are they who are the church of the firstborn. They are they in whose hands the Father has given all things. They are they who are priests and kings who have received his fullness and of his glory. DMC 76... Uh, Verse 54 and 56, or page, whatever. Uh, many scriptural passages and prophets have mentioned another church besides the Church of the Jesus Christ, or the Church of Jesus Christ. It is called the Church of the Firstborn. Some of these references are as follows. Genesis chapter 9, verse 23, uh, JST. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 23. Romans chapter 8, verse 29. Doctrine and Covenants chapter... Oh gosh, this is a lot of them. Chapters 76, verse just, 54. Just skip that part. Just skip that part. If they want to go read it, they can read it for themselves. Just skip the part. Okay, there's a lot in the Doctrine and Covenants. Like, a lot. <laughs> uh, doctrinal History of the Church, ten times. Why can't I just do that? Say how many times? <laughs> Brigham Young, Journal of Discourses, uh... 
1330. Yep. I got to say something. I am pretty sure that you have so much IQ filling up your head that you can't actually just follow instructions. Because when I tell you to do something a certain way, you just do it however you're going to do it. So when I say skip that part, that's exactly, that's all that I mean. Skip that part. If they want to go read it, they can read it for themselves. Skip that part. You understand? Skip that part. Uh-huh. Yeah, I was just, just reading that because it wasn't a whole bunch of numbers. It was just like just two skip separate that things. Part. Stop giving me excuses as to why you didn't just skip that part. Just skip that part, please. Thank you. Okay. Okay, Hebrew C. Kimball in the Journal of Discourses, Orson Pratt in the Journal of Discourses, John Taylor again, uh, Wilfred Woodruff also. Wilfred I am going to smack, smack, and I'm going to smack the IQ out of your brain if you don't just skip that part, Emma. Just skip I'll it, just, please. Uh, just listen to what I say. I'm sorry, audience. He's 15. He doesn't know how to follow instructions. He drives me insane because we give him very clear instructions all day long off the program, and he just, I don't know, his brain's developing. He's got so much crap in it, I guess, that he can't hear words, and he doesn't know how to just follow the instructions, which drives us insane. It drives his teachers insane because it happens at his school. He just wants, and he just has to, and he just has to, you know, all the excuses that go into his brain, and he can't just do what he's told to do. Just skip that part. It's a bunch of numbers, a bunch of quotes. It doesn't actually quote anything. It says, go look somewhere else for the quote. It doesn't give the quote, and we're not going to give the quotes on this program. So skip the part so that you can go on to the next part so you can read the actual quotes that are there. Thank you. Okay, although the Lord gave his instructions on the proper name for the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, uh, DNC 115-4, he distinguished this other church by calling it a different name. The reason is because they are two separate churches with different missions and qualifications for entrance. Page 220. (laughs) Um... You want me to keep reading? Yes, I asked you to read both pages because in the middle of whatever, it doesn't get to the numbered part, so that's why I asked you to read two pages. It'll say one, whatever, two, whatever, three, whatever. Just read two pages. Thank you. Okay. When did this church of the firstborn begin? According to Heber C. Kimball, here in the territory of Deseret is the kingdom of God, and here are all the officers pertaining to that kingdom. And here is an organization that is organized after the order of God, and it is organized after the order of the church of the firstborn. Let me explain what the church of the firstborn is. It is the first church that was ever, or that ever was raised upon this earth. That is, the firstborn church. That is what I mean. And when God God our Father organized that church, he organized it just as his Father organized the church on the earth where he dwelt. And that that same order is organized here in the city of Great Salt Lake, 
And it is that order that Joseph Smith, the prophet of God, organized in the beginning of Kirtland, or in the beginning, in Kirtland, Ohio. Kirtland, Ohio. Hold on. Okay. Uh, In Kirtland, Ohio. Brother Brigham Young, myself, and others were present when that was done, and when those officers received their endowments, they were together in one place. They were organized and received their endowments and blessings. And those keys were placed upon them, and that kingdom will stand forever. Journal of Discourses, Volume 5, page 129 and 1857. Brother Heber clearly talks about the organization of the separate church of the firstborn in Kirtland, Ohio, where he and Brigham Young were present. It is distinguished from the organization of the Church of Latter-day or of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints which was organized in Fayette, New York, on April 6, 1830, before Brigham Young and Heber had ever heard about the church, or had even heard about the church. It can be taken from some passages that the church of the firstborn was God's church, as differentiated from Christ's church. Page 221. Uh, Anything to say? Well, there's three orders of of the church. <laughs> so you have the fa- church of the Father, the church of the Son, and the church of the Witness. And that's the church of the Living Messiah and the School of the Prophets, the church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and the church of the Firstborn. So uh, the majority of the church of the Firstborn is actually with the city of Enoch in heaven, so when Zion is redeemed, the church of the firstborn will come down out of heaven and join with the earth. Um, when the church of uh, Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints goes into apostasy, uh, it is the job of the church of the living Messiah to bring them back and to call them back to repentance. That's what this is. That's part of what we're doing today. So... Um, I guess we can just end it at that. We'll read more tomorrow on that next chapter, and uh, we'll, we'll talk about the Church of the Firstborn. It's, it's pretty interesting. Uh, one of my favorite things uh, actually is in the inspired translation of Genesis chapter 21, where it talks about when the people live all that God has commanded, and they establish Zion below. They shall look up, and Zion shall come down out of heaven. And it talks about the church of the firstborn coming down out of heaven. Now, Adam and Andayaman, in order for Adam and Andayaman to happen, that people have to redeem Zion on the earth so that Zion above can join with Zion below and the church of the firstborn can come down out of heaven. And that has to happen in order for Adam and Andayaman to happen. That's where all of the resurrected prophets and patriarchs as well as Father Adam come down and all of the keys are given back to the presiding authority which is the father who is Michael that's called Adam and then uh, according to Daniel chapter 7 one like unto the son of man comes down out of the mountain or out of heaven I think and he comes down to the ancient of days and then that's out of the non and that's what that's talking about, and that is when Jesus Christ 
because he took upon himself the, the sins of the world and he becomes our father through the law of adoption, the father, our father, his father, gives him the keys to the earth and he takes over as the father. So, so and then this all that we're going through, this world is a pre-existence to a new heaven and a new earth, which is talked about in Revelation. And when it talks about the pre-existence on an old, like the pre-existence of this earth, that was on an older earth in a other a, a different probation than we're in now, a mortal probation. So, anyway, this is the progression of the gods, and a lot of the church, they don't understand these things, but Joseph Smith did teach them. So, anyway, um, if you would, we will end the pro- uh, program. Just play uh, Sleep Away, cue the music, and we'll be back on tomorrow at 8 p.m. for the next chapter of Holy Priesthood, Volume 6. Thank you for listening, everyone. Take care. God bless and goodbye.
Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.